What's going on? What's going on, good people? I'm your host, Shannon Smith, and welcome to the Successes Within Reach podcast, episode six. We're back once again with finance and credit conversations with Jay Allen. Let me bring this gentleman to the stage right now. Give me one sec. What's going on, sir? How you doing this evening? And what's up, Shannon? How's it going, brother? And no complaints here, no complaints. Uh, for those that uh, have been following the show, you know, Jay Allen has been here giving us constant, constant gems on getting your budget together, getting your finances together, getting your credit together. And he's back once again for another jam-packed show. Uh, before we get started, I want to remind everybody that you can join in the conversation and submit your questions and comments at www.facebook.com slash SIWR podcast. Once again, www.facebook.com slash SIWR podcast. All right, let's get into it. Uh, so this first question I have for you is a question that actually came from one of our viewers after the last time you were here. Uh, they want to know, why do people get rejected after receiving pre-approved offers? And are they really legit offers? Yeah, so that's a good question, man. Um, it's really a great market employee. So a pre-approved offer is really, it should say pre-qualified. And what they're doing essentially is they're doing a soft pull in your credit. So they're not doing a hard pull and they're just basically viewing your score. And their score gives them enough information to at least give you a chance to apply. But you still have to actually apply for the, uh, the loan, submit an application. Um, and based on what they need from you, they may need your income verification. If it was a large purchase, they may need something like you know, tax returns, bank statements, things like that. So those pre-approvals that you get in the mail from people that you have never met before or never even applied to before, it's really marketing. They know a certain number of people are going to actually apply for that. And that's how they kind of get you in there. Um, I think I mentioned this on the, on the last episode. I talked a lot about credit report versus credit score. So they stop pool, they're kind of viewing your score. Maybe it's a 720, you know, but they can't see in your report and they can't see your comparable credit terms and credit limits. Um, mm -hmm. If you decide to apply for that loan, um, then they do a hard pull because you're giving them information and verification um, and authorization on the credit application to actually pull your credit and review the actual report. Your report may tell them some things that they don't like based upon their risk tolerance. Maybe you have... Mm -hmm of credit card usage on a few cards. Maybe you have two trade lines. You have a very thin credit profile. You know, they see something in your credit profile that's, that gives them a red flag enough to reject you in that case. Um, and sometimes it may be a situation to where they pre-approve you for, say, $15,000 at, say, 2%, and then they pull your credit report and they say, well, that was like a promotional offer for our best clients because they always put forth their best foot. So 
they're going to say, well, you could get, say, 10,000 at 4% based on what your profile means. And what that's called essentially from a lender standpoint is it's called conditioning alone. Um, they're going to mm. present and add conditions to it to, to basically mitigate the risk of loss on their end. So it, it always benefits them, you know, how they condition it alone. Um, gotcha. We use it a lot for, for marketing. You know, we do a, we do like a report, say 3,000 customers and maybe a certain demographic, maybe the Southeast region or maybe even worldwide. And we will market to them, say, a special promotion at 0%, knowing that they won't all get approved for that. But what it does is it's, it's really a lead generator. It's a better tool to call it. It's a lead generator. They know that, you know, we send 1,000 out, maybe 800 may apply, 500 may get approved, and then it kind of dwindles down. But it's a great tool for lead generation. Um, if you don't need it, throw it away, you know. Um, you know, no, no matter what. You know, whether it's Bannett score through Credit Karma, whether it's FICO 8, FICO 9, FICO 2, the basics still apply. Payment here remains supreme, low credit card utilization, and apply for credit when you need it, unless you're trying to purposely build credit if you're new in that space. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that uh, it, it messes a lot of people up. Because they get so excited <laughs> when they see that pre-approved, yeah. And you know, I'm I'm glad that you were able to really break down the fundamentals on that. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, moving along, our second question also came from a guest um, that sent in this question after the last time you were here. Uh, the second question is: Why does your APR increase even when you're paying on time? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, start so so for, for that one i start from a more technical place pace place um a lot of interest rates that you see whether it's your bank credit union um car dealership they're indexed to a certain you know major rate so a lot of banks are indexed which means they're attached to a rate so like like ludicrous said when you move i move just like that so <laughs> so if if prime increases and I'm indexed to prime rate, I'm going to increase the rate because mm. you got to remember the lenders also have lenders. So when you're buying stocks and bonds in, in the market, these companies are going to the market and they're issuing debt or getting equity from stocks that you buy. And basically they have to have a return back to that market of a certain, a certain amount. Um, some companies pay dividends from that, the profits and things like that. So, if, if, if Prime or LIBOR, um, L-I-B-O-R, LIBOR, uh, the London International Bank, I think operating rate, I may have said that all wrong, but if, if, the, if a lender is indexed to that rate and that rate is moving up or down, they can actually move with that rate because they keep their margin. So, for example, if Prime right now is 4% and American Express is charging 20%, basically, you know, they're going to move with that rate as it moves, right? Um, secondly, if they're actually issuing debt in the market and they're actually borrowing money to, to lend you money and they're borrowing at 4%, then they want to have a gap to profit off of. So if they're lending you at 20% and they're borrowing at 4%, 16% is, is going to be their profit margin in terms of lending to you. 
right? Mm -hmm. um, number two, if you have a period of promotional that's ended, so you get a credit card in the mail, you got a new card, and they suckered you in, or they suckered you in as strong, but they may get you in by saying, hey, it's for uh, 18 months, you know, um, it's 0%, you know? And I, I say sucker because whenever you use credit, it, it has to be with a, with a plan in place. So for those who just promotion, just to do it with no plan, just to buy more things, to buy more gadgets, they're sucking you in. If you're somebody mm -hmm. that how to move that around off different cards, then you're going to use that as a strategy. And I'll kind of give you an example of that later on in the podcast, but that could be a great tool to use. So you want to pay attention. If it ends, say, November 20th, 2020 or 2021, and it goes to 25%, the next month, have that notated. Um, I have a spreadsheet that I keep um, within my budget that shows me when my promotional periods end so I can plan my payments that way so I'll know um, I can avoid interest altogether. Um, number two is that, number three is that lenders do random credit checks all the time and they don't tell you. And these are only soft pools and they do it because they want to gauge the risk of their customer base because mm. you know you get a credit card in january and COVID is a perfect example of that in january 2020 life was normal you were working uh just fine you know day to day things were normal in april that could have all changed for you credit card mm -hmm. companies other lenders are always doing with a soft pool on your credit to see where you are right and as a result of that they may lower your score they may lower your limit. They can also close your account as well. They have those mm -hmm. options. And that's in a very, very small print in your credit card contract that no one ever reads, probably. Um, number number four with that is that you have what's called the, uh, the Credit Card Act of 2009 that allows credit card, this is crazy, it allows credit cards to raise your, your actual rate just because as long as it's not within the first 12 months of you having a card. Mm. Right. Right. Oh, man. Yeah. So, and when I was in credit, you know, we did what's called Experian Alerts. We had a, a, a contract with Experian that gave us soft pool access to all our customers in our database. And on a weekly basis, or a monthly or quarterly basis, one of my jobs in credit was to go in there and review all of the clients in my territory and see how good or how bad that credit was. And in some cases, if they had really improved, I may raise their limits. So you have times, mm -hmm. you know, I got a car recently through uh, HSBC Bank where my original limit was 7,500. Well, about three months later, four months later, it was 11,500. So that tells me, they went in and saw my credit improve and they wanted to reward me. Obviously, that reward is hoping that I use that credit, but it's more. Hold on, there you go. Uh -oh. You're good. You're froze for a split oh. second. It's all good. You back. Okay, 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 okay. okay. <laughs> Yeah, we got you back now. So yeah, so okay. am I clear now? 
Yeah. Yep. Okay. Okay. Cool. Because I saw me kind of freeze. I'll say this last thing too. If you're someone that has had regular on-time payments with this credit card company and you've been with them for a while and year, two years, call and ask for a decrease to the previous rate. Now, when they raise your rate for no reason, they have to send you a letter in the mail telling you that as well. You could that's going to trigger you to call them mm-hmm. and, and ask for it to be raised. You can threaten to leave. You know what I'm saying? So you want to leverage that if you've been a paying customer, especially in, in the COVID time frame. And you may be bluffing, but still, they still owe you the conversation over the phone to uh, to be had. Yeah, and that's what I was going to follow up and ask you, like, is that something that can be negotiated, um, especially if you're the you know customer that's been doing everything correctly? You know, yeah. knowing that they can do all of this behind the scenes without you, without you knowing, then okay, I'm coming to you, you know, with hard facts that I pay everything on time, I never max it out, and I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. Why did my you know my APR particularly increase? Can you bring that back down? Being that you know I'm one of your top notch customers. Yep. Yep. Can you know because like I mentioned earlier, you know whatever it's indexed to. Or how much ever it's costing them to borrow that money to then lend you, that's probably a pretty big margin in that gap. Mm-hmm. I'm saying, and for customers who are performing poorly, who have higher rates, they're going to be making up the difference most times anyway, because they're going to be able to get more interest offered them. And, and a prime example that I give is savings accounts at banks. You know, they're paying you zero. but then they're lending your money to an investor, maybe, or someone buying a house at, you know, three, four, 5%, someone buying a car, maybe at five, 6%. Like that's, that's the name of the game. They're actually using their deposits to lend money out. So they're not Mm -hmm. having actually necessarily pay for as much money in the market when they put it out there in stocks and bonds, they're able to have much better margins and be more profitable. And if, if a company is publicly traded, like a Bank of America or Wells Fargo, they have an incentive to maximize where they can in terms of income and profits and, and really bottom line money. Like for example, overdraft fees. Mm-hmm. Banks are making millions and billions of dollars a month overdraft fees that's going straight to the bottom line and, and for a investor on the on the, in the stock market side they're probably getting dividends paid to them as a result of that the extra bottom line money so mm-hmm. trade it there's extra incentive to to um be profitable gotcha gotcha all right um so this third one also is one from our audience from the last show um, does it hurt your credit profile to take cash advances on your credit card? You know, a lot of people have that option on the particular card that they have. However, people don't really know, should I do it? Shouldn't I do it? Is that going to hurt me or is it something else to help enable me? Uh, so what's your take on that? You know, the last word you said, Shannon, is the most important word. You said enable. Mm. Question would be, What's it, what, what is it enabling to you to do? What is your goal with the cash advance? Um, where is your cash? Because a lot of times you can have a credit card with a $20,000 limit 
your cash advance might be a maximum of two grand. So mm-hmm. question would be, you know, where, where is your cash to use for that? Um, number one, read the small print. You know, the, the cash advance itself is not, not going to hurt your credit profile. It's going to report as a, as a balance due. It's going to affect your credit card utilization amount, which you want to keep that under 30%. Excuse me, at all times. I tell my clients 20, 25% because you don't want to play with that 30% line if you really, really need it. Cash advances are very expensive. We're talking about sometimes 20% interest plus on a cash advance um, when you use it on your credit card. Number two, mm-hmm. there's no grace period with the cash advance like a purchase. So, for example, if I go buy something with my credit card, I have time before the interest accrues to pay it off or pay it down. Cash advance interest hits immediately when you use that cash advance. On top oh, wow. of that, if you're using it through ATM machine, most likely you have ATM fees as well on top of that. So th- there's so many fees involved in that scenario that it's almost to me not worth it unless you have, once again, you're trying to enable yourself to use that money to make more money. So if you aren't investing that money, something to make more money then why are you doing it now if you're in a tight jam and you really need that cash then do what you have to do to survive i'm not, I'm not saying don't do it you know or go to a you know a check cashing place title your car something like that there th- those are extreme circumstances and i would hate for anyone to have to go through that um those interest levels on those are extremely high as well yeah but let- or let's be proactive here, you know, budget. You know, I talked about budget, I think, on each episode. That That is the, if you're building a financial house, budgeting is going to be the foundation, the concrete that you pour. And, and I, I don't care how much money you make. If you are able to manage that money, with you know, through, through budgeting, then, you know, you're going to be in a tough spot. And like Lakia said, I agree. You know, unless you absolutely at the end of your choices, I would not do a cash advance if I could help it. Gotcha. Gotcha. So y'all, y'all heard it here. Don't take that cash advance to go hit up the sale at Macy's. Don't do it to go to the beach. None of that nonsense. It's going to cost you more in the long run. All right. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Successes Within Reach podcast, episode six, Finance and Credit Conversations with Jay Allen. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back, welcome back. We're here once again with Jay Allen, our finance and credit specialist. Um, for those that are new and haven't, you know, been following the show and seen you here before, just tell them a little bit about yourself. Yeah, man. So, like Shannon said, my name is Jay Allen. Um, I am a North Carolina born and raised individual. Um, spent a lot of time in Tennessee and Nashville. Uh, now live in Kansas City. Uh, I've been in the financial world, credit and finance and sales world for 15 years now. It's crazy that I've been out of college that long. I'm a proud alumni of North Carolina A&T State University. 
in Greensboro, North Carolina. And I just love helping people, man. You know, um, you know, just love to be here and excited about the opportunity. Uh, I, I just believe in, in giving people what they need to be equipped and empowered to be in control of themselves at all times, especially when it comes to their money and finances. Because I, I know what it feels like personally to be out of control in that space. And, and um, it's, it's a, it's a um, stressful time for sure. Definitely, definitely, especially with everything going on in the world as it flipped completely upside down in the past year. You know, yep. finances and, and credit, it seems like it's more important than ever now for a lot of people. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we talked about negotiating your APR. Uh, my next question is a little similar. How often should you request an increase on your credit limit? Right. That's, that's a great question, Shannon. Great question. Um, I'm just really quick. I, I missed one point. I, I failed to mention. And I apologize on, on the previous question in regards mm -hmm. to um, cash advances. For those who are watching that may be more savvy in the credit game, in the credit space, who utilize credit to to invest or bill, if you need to absolutely pay someone with credit and they don't take credit, you want to take the credit and convert it to cash, go to plastic.com. That's P-L-A-S-T-I-Q.com. Plastic is a service where you can play, pay people via, through the invoices to you by converting your credit to cash and pay them that way for for a fee, obviously, but a much lower fee than a cash advance, a much lower fee than the cash advance. Nice. Yeah. So um, the question about credit line increases is a great question because this comes up a lot when people are trying to build credit and establish themselves um, in the credit game. All right. So. Credit inquiries is where I want to start here. Credit inquiries stay on your credit report for two years, but they only affect it for about a year at a time. Now, when you go apply for stuff, yeah, you do see the inquiries on your report, so you don't want to just rack them up nonstop inquiries because to a lender, um, you, you can look desperate like you're looking for credit. You know, when you first start applying for credit, I would say apply for your first credit line increase with I say six to twelve months, mm -hmm. and and you do it every six months. But I wouldn't necessarily do it each six months on the on the dot. So like I said before, in most times they're going to do a hard pull. Okay. And pull, you want to ask that question as well because not all lenders for their current customers do hard pulls. The the one thing that's not mentioned enough in, in credit and finance is relationship. You know, um, a, a lot of big banks may not value it as much, may feel like a number to them, but some do. Um, I've had scenarios where I call for credit line increase and I've been with this particular card for five years. Um, based up, upon my new level of income and based upon my past Payment history, they gave me the credit line increase. Mm -hmm. um, I had another card that had the same amount of time, asked for the same thing, and, and they said, we got to do a hard pull. So that's why I talked about, I think, in a previous episode, you know, risk mitigation is the main job of a credit analyst, and risk tolerance is what's going to govern the level of risk mitigation that they put in place. 
and mm-hmm. there's no right or wrong to that. That's just that company's culture. Um, there's no guarantee that you're going to get an increase when you ask for it either the first time. But if they see you pay six months in a row and you kept that limit low, you're starting to prove yourself now. And, and, and that's a really good way to start building credit and establishing credit, especially because what people do sometimes is they may get that that starter card, you know, that secure card or that that my jeweler or, or finger hug card. They get an increase on that card. You want to leverage that card to then go then go apply for a, a major, you know, like a, a visa or uh, probably more like a MasterCard. American Express is a little bit more difficult to get in the in the very beginning and get a good limit on, on that card. But you know, you want to leverage credit to build credit, especially um, if you still you have a thin credit profile. You want to leverage to leverage. Um, I kind of gave the example mm-hmm. last time. If I if I borrowed a thousand dollars from Shannon. You know, and I pay Shannon months. Then I go to Mike. Say, hey, Mike. You know, can I get three thousand? Mike's going to say, Okay, I don't know. Who have you borrowed three thousand from, and how well did you pay him? Well, I borrowed a thousand from Shannon. I pay Shannon on time for six months, eight months. Mike may have he has a choice to make there. He can say no, obviously, but in most cases, he doesn't make money without lending money. So he he may say, Well, I can't. Can't give you three thousand, but I'll give you two thousand because you pay somebody a thousand, and I take a risk on you with that. So then I can leverage those two trade lines then to maybe go to, to Kurt. You know, say, hey Kurt, hey man, you know, um, I need five thousand. Kurt says, who have you paid five thousand to, and how well did you pay them for how long? Well, I pay Shannon for you know X amount of time at this level. I pay Mike at this level, and Kurt may say, yeah, you know what? I take a chance on you. I get five, mm-hmm. and, and over time, you know, you build a portfolio that way. Um, credit mix is important too. In that case, I'm kind of getting off tangent a little bit, but credit mix is important because you want to leverage those to maybe go get a personal loan or um, an, an installment loan as well. Um, and and also um, as a as a piece of, a nugget here, you know, you can build credit more ways than credit cards. And as you're building mm-hmm. that credit portfolio up. Uh, one thing I tell people to do who my clients who are newer in the game is to is to get a personal loan from your bank. A um a credit union may be better for you. They tend to be a little bit more um liberal in the li- lending practices. Um get that thousand dollar, two thousand dollar personal loan, which you're going to report as an installment loan, right? So now you have a revolving line through a credit card and you have an installment loan um, as well, because credit mix is, is 10% of your FICO score. You want to take that money that they give you, that two grand, and you put it in a savings account at the same bank. You put that savings account on with that loan on ACH debit, automatic payments, have it pulled from the savings account every month. You never take that money out of the bank. That's truly a okay. strategy to start building credit. Don't spend the money. Maybe, maybe you get that money in your, your hands, put it right back in that account and then have it pay your loan for you. And that's a way you can start building an installment loan as well as self lender is also a good one. But just some options for those trying to build credit. That's smart. That's why you pretty much making them pay themselves to boost your profile. Yep. 
That's all right. So, you know, you mentioned uh, like jewelry cards and finger hut a while ago, and that kind of helps transition into uh, my next question. Do those credit cards like gas cards, jewelry cards, department store cards really help your profile? Yes, they do. They do. Especially more for a, a, um, a person new, new to credit. You know, mm-hmm. once you establish, you know, I personally would get those cards. Um, store cards are, are going to be low limit cards in most cases with high rates. And, mm-hmm. they, you know, you can't use a Macy's card to buy gas. You can't use an express card to buy groceries. You want to start getting cards that you can use um, that's going to benefit you. And at some point, as you get really savvy, budgeting and, and paying off debts, you can actually find ways to make your credit cards pay for your lifestyle, essentially through point programs and things like that. Um, I encourage those people who are not as disciplined in, the, in that space to not do that in, in the beginning, because it takes it takes a certain level of emotional intelligence to really execute on that plan. And if, you, if you're someone who says money burns a hole in my pocket, well, I'll tell you this, credit will burn a hole in your life because <laughs> you know, it can really ruin you in so many different ways. Facts. Those costs are building, you know, um, Finger Hut is, is a good one. Um, my jeweler, um, Grain, which is a um, digital card. If you have an iPhone, you can put in Grain, G-R-A-I-N. It's a digital secured credit card that you can use to help build credit. And like I said, previously, you want to use those cards to then, you know, throw an eye loop to yourself. You want to boost yourself up with those cards, use them responsibly, pay on them well, maybe get an increase on them or two, and then use those cards to then secure other lines of credit, other trade lines that are going to be more beneficial, beneficial and more universal in usage. So, like, say a person gets a jewelry store card for five or ten thousand dollars, and then later they're trying to go and get, say, a MasterCard or American Express. How much does that car weigh on a major company um, giving that person the approval, or do they say, "Oh, that's just a jewelry store card"? Yes, it's ten thousand dollars, and you never maxed it out, but at the baseline, it's still a jewelry store card. Yep. So. Two things really play there, um, the utilization and payment history. So utilization being 30% of your FICO score, payment history being 35% of your FICO score. That's going to weigh heavy in itself, never mind the car type. The fact that you're able to still manage it and do that well and use it is going to play big. Now, they may not match the 10 grand because it's a jewelry card, but they won't decline you either because it's a jewelry card, but they're still going to hold that you responsible for being responsible and having character, which is to me, the, the number one seal of credit is character. So that's, that, that's going to highlight that you can handle and service that debt load. And they more likely are going to approve you as long as there are no red flags on that profile through that jewelry card. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Next up, we have how long do you have to remain on a secured card uh, before transitioning to an unsecured card? Yep. So that's that's the type of question you want to ask the lender before you apply for that secured card. Um, you can transfer or not transfer. You, you, 
you can, I guess, migrate over to an unsecured card within as little as six months to a year. Some cards take longer and some won't do it at all. So before you even apply for it, you want to know how they work, what's typical, what's the average, and then what does it take? You know, is paying you early a good sign? Is, is, is you know, paying off a good sign? Like what to you is going to show you that I can handle unsecured debt, basically. Have the conversation in advance to figure it out. But it can be transferred over in as little as six months to a year, but it could take longer. And then some companies don't ever do it. They leave you in that secure status. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Successes Within Reach podcast, episode six, Finance and Credit Conversations with Jay Allen. We're about to take a quick break and we'll be right back. This break is brought to you by Breakthrough Kings. All right. All right. Welcome back. Welcome back. All right. So next up, I want to ask you, uh, does having multiple credit cards hurt your score or profile or does it show that multiple lenders uh, have built up trust in you? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and the answer is all of the, all of the above. And I'll kind of break that down. Um, it does show that other lenders do trust you. You know, that's that's important to a lender. And, you know, you know, the example I give is that when I looked at people's credit profiles, I always look for similar lenders like myself, you know, um, or are they at the same level of risk or same business type or something similar to what I'm doing in business. So that gives me confidence that I, if they trusted you, I can as well. Number two, from a strategy standpoint, if they trusted you with with that limit, and you're using them, that means you're, you're generating income for that business. Because from a lender's perspective, interest for a lender is income. So I'm going to approve you because now I want your business too. Because if mm -hmm. I decline you, you may go double your account with them and now you're going to be paying them more money. And I want you in-house with me. That's if you're a good client because good clients are hard to come by. So when you see one, you do want to get them. Now, where it can hurt you is if you're just I hear applying, 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 applying for cards in a short period of time, you can look desperate in that case. So that's okay. a red flag. You know, inquiries can knock your score down. Um, new credit is 10 percent of your FICO score. So, you know, those those hard inquiries can can ding you and start knocking your score down little by little. But you don't want to just go crazy. Because to a lender, you look desperate in some cases. Um, as far as number of cars goes, there's no magic number of cars to have. Um, okay. FICO wants you to have um, two to three on file um, that you're paying on. That's going to go into a few calculations. Number one, if you're paying it on time and properly, that feeds your payment history, which once again, 35%. I keep pounding it in your head, 35%. Uh, number two, if you're keeping the utilization down on your cards, that's 30% of your FICO score. 
So that that chunk, those two by themselves comprise a major component of your FICO score. Mm -hmm. And then the, the third one is going to feed your your credit mix. So now you have maybe a mortgage on an account, you have a car payment, and then you have these revolving cars as well. Credit mix is, is going to be um, 10% of your score. And then number four, as a matter of fact, if these are old cards, length of history is also being benefited because now your history is going to be longer. And that comprises 15% of your FICO score. Um, mm -hmm. Me personally, I have 10 cards that, that, that I use, and but my utilization is 2%. Mm. Right? 2%. Oh, wow. So um, FICO did a study in 2019. The majority of people, consumers that had a 795 or better, right, had utilization under 7%. So 30 is the number we always get, 30, 30, 30, 30. 30 is cool. Over 30 start to come down. You want to really have it under 10%. That shows major mm -hmm. responsibility. And to kind of piggyback on previous questions, applying for new credit can lower your utilization, obviously, because you got a bigger uh, availability, and so can uh, increasing credit loans. So having credit lines that increased can also reduce utilization. But once again, you want to be strategic in how you do these things. And mm -hmm. what I give is that, you know, people probably said 10 cards, like, what are you doing? That's, that's crazy. <laughs> cards, right. So I used my credit that I've been building for years to do business funding. Right for a business and the business that I was funding was my business, but the bank wouldn't give us a loan because as per their risk tolerance level or their risk management policies, you have to be in business for three years. And we were in business for like 12 months, but I knew if we could get what we needed for the business, we could, we could make this thing. All right. I use my personal credit to build a business because the EIN for the business was so new that no one would lend to us, you know? So I, I, I took a risk and I know it was a risk, but I was able to get 0% promotions for 18 months on a few cards. Okay. I took off. Oh, this is another, another one, man. Another gym. You apply for these cards. From a strategy standpoint, ask them how they're going to fund your card. Some cards will send you a check. Mm. Right. Two of the cards sent me a check that I could cash and deposit in my account. Now that's cash. I took that cash and put it into the business. It was somewhere. Mm. It was somewhere. And, 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 and just to give real numbers, I like real numbers. It was around 18 grand I pulled off of those cards, right? Did my utilization go up? It did. It did. Did my score fall a little bit? It did. But number one, I had the cash on hand. If all else failed, I, I could pay it off, right? Mm -hmm. So I was, I was proactive. I had a plan. 
if things go sour, I got the cash. I got this right. I have my spreadsheet. I know when each card ends, there's zero percent. Then I had the payments calculated based upon when that ended on a monthly basis. So if it's, for example, if it was a thousand dollar balance and for 10 more months, I paid a hundred dollars a month. So I had to calculate it to where I never pay interest on that. Right. Gotcha. I was able to invest that in the business, get to get what we needed for the business. And I'll tell you like this, that business paid off those cards over a year early and in full transparency, because I like to give people real numbers. I made the 18, we, we as a business from a revenue perspective, the 18 grand came back a hundred times. Nice. So there are ways to utilize credit. You know, if someone calls you tomorrow and says, hey, hey, Shannon, I've got an opportunity for you to invest in a real estate deal. There are ways to utilize that credit and then learn how to float. Are you still with me? There you go. I freeze again. Yeah, you froze for a quick second. Got your audio back. Okay. What about now? All right, there you go. Okay. Okay. So there, there are a lot of ways to, to really use credit to your benefits. I'm saying, um, if if you really want to get savvy with credit and even use your credit as a business model, um, follow him five hundred Instagram. This guy's made um, strategies around using credit to build a business. And that's what he specializes in. He does it. That's what he does. So, you know, I believe in education before before conversation. So, you know, I would look him up. And if you decide he's what you want to do, invest in the course. Learn how to do it. Nice. Nice. That was uh a credit slash entrepreneur 101 <laughs> whole session right now. Oh man. All right. And uh, our last question as we get ready to wrap up um, is something that a lot of people struggle with. You know, a lot of people make car purchases every single day. Hundreds of people buy cars, uh, but people want to know when making an automobile purchase, should you use the dealership lender, a regular bank or a credit union for funding? Because there's several yep. options, but a lot of people don't know which one is the best option. Yep. That's a good question. And it's, it's, it's really should be talked about a whole lot more like high school and middle school. But uh, I would get pre-approved. It, 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 that's period. Like get pre-approved. Whether you use a whether you use a bank or credit union, it's totally up to you. I like credit mm -hmm. union. Um, they they usually give better rates, um, and partly because credit unions are membership owned. So as a as a credit card as a credit member client, you're usually also a member of the credit union, and the credit union is paying the members dividends. Mm -hmm. On major bank, they may be motivated, you know, because they're Usually publicly traded, you know, they issue stock in the market, bonds in the market. You know, their interest rates may not be as low because they're trying to turn more of a profit to pay back their investors. So credit union is, is usually usually my pick. And from a personal standpoint, I like to feel like I matter. And my experience with credit union, my experiences have been that I get treated a lot better 
at credit unions. Banks have been treating me bad, but the 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 the, the rapport seems to be their focus in terms of relationship building with me. So mm-hmm. you know, I, when I walk in, I'm Jay, and they usually know me. They usually smaller, so get pre-approved. You know, I say by a credit union prior to going into a bank. I'm sorry, to a, to a car dealership. I would not let the car dealership run your credit. If you can avoid that, you know, at all costs, because sometimes what they're doing is they're just pinging you through different lenders, different inquiries, killing your credit report. So you can easily rack up. I've seen clients rack up 10 to 20 inquiries um, from trying to get approved for a car. And that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it, it can happen. It can really happen. But once again, this is about being proactive. Being mm-hmm. proactive is, is the key. Before you go in there, being pre-approved is the key. But when you get pre-approved, you want to do your budget. You want to be budgeting in advance. You want to know what you can afford. You want to know what that what that looks like on paper, monthly, or how you're going to pay, whether it's bi-weekly. I would, I would say recommend go find you a loan calculator. I usually what's called loan calc. Um, C-A-L-C. It's a basic amortizing schedule on your smartphone. If you plug in the amount of the loan, interest rate, and term, it gives you your payment. Do that in advance so you know because you may get proof of $25,000, but your budget may say, man, we need to stay at fifteen. So you need to know like where you stand and you want to be in power because as a salesperson, what they're trained to do is to ask you questions, you know, certain questions to pull things out of you. Like, for example, well, how much can you afford monthly? Because a lot of times as a consumer, we're thinking about price, price. Well, here's the thing. In these day and ages, with these terms being longer, you can go 84 months now. Mm-hmm. A person can find your monthly payment easily by changing the term, Right. Here's the thing. The longer your term, the higher your rate, because the longer you have a loan out, the higher the probability of default, which means that the creditor is then going to mitigate their risk by raising the rate so they they can get more interest income faster. Makes sense. Go down. I'm going to give you all some numbers. I like real numbers. Okay, so here's the scenario. The car is $20,000, right? And the rate is 4%. So $20,000 for a car, 4% on a four-year loan, it's going to cost you $451.58 per month, okay? That could be high or low based on your budget. But interest over the life of that four years is going to be $1,675, okay? Mm Mm-hmm. Now for a five-year loan, same term, 20 grand, 4%. The payment's going to be 368.33. Total interest you pay over five years is $2,099. See what happened there? Yeah. Your payment went down, interest went up over the time. So you're paying more for that car over that five-year period. Is that Definitely. good? It depends on your situation. You know, yeah. you care about that, you know. So six year long, same scenario. It's gonna be three twelve ninety a month 
but you're going to be paying $2,529 over the lifetime of that six years for interest. All right. And the last one, here's where people get really excited. I can afford it. <laughs> Seven years, 84 months. You're going to be paying $273.38 a month, which is probably going to be in your budget. But you're going to be paying $2,964 a month. I'm sorry, $2,964 in interest over the life of that loan. You almost doubled your interest that you pay, that you're paying to that lender. So they don't care about the 84 months because yeah. they're more interest income anyway. So you got to know your numbers and what scenario is the best for you. I don't know. It depends on your level of risk tolerance for yourself and what your goals are. If you want to pay it all faster, less interest, the four years probably want to be for you. And if you really, you know, really want to, to buy this car and not lease it and want to buy it, then maybe you do a three year loan. I don't know. It depends on you. But what I'm trying to tell people is by 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 taking time to budget. By taking time to get to know your unique situation, you can then decide what scenario is best for you. But mm -hmm. asking the questions is in control. So if you walk in and you, I don't know, I don't know, that salesperson is in control. You, you want to walk in making demands. And what I would do is I would find your car online, find out when the car dealership is closed. Go find it on day that's closed because you want to walk. You want to be able to walk the dealership lot with nobody bothering you. Mm -hmm. Go back the next day, pick a end of the month, end of the quarter, or pick when the models change. They want to get rid of old inventory. When the uh -huh. model is a great time to go. But you, when you go, you want to be in the driver's seat. No pun intended, but driver's seat of the conversation. Don't let them because they're going to ask you. How much can you, well, how, much, how often do you get paid? Every two weeks? Okay. How much can you afford every two weeks? Because their goal is to match the payment to your income, right? Mm -hmm. Don't let them do that. Walk in, I'm pre-approved by ABC Credit Union, ABC Bank. I got this much to spend. I want that red one right there. I want to test drive it. Is it certified pre-owned? Cool. Let's go. You're not... You don't have to talk to the finance manager, by the way. Yeah. That's, don't let them, don't let them, that's not a requirement. Because being on this side of the business too. So one one of the things for my clients, I think, I guess it's my competitive advantage. I've been I've been a lender for 15 years. So I know the the backside, the conversations, the motivation behind the sales tactics, you know. The financial resources, all that, you know, like I, I know that side too. So I always tell my clients, my goal is to prepare you to go meet me mm -hmm. at that door, you know. And um, and I, I'll end with this, Shannon, too, man. Everybody watching this podcast on live, I want you all listening to it later. You all entrepreneurs. You're like, what? I'm not. You are. The first business you will ever manage is the business of you. Facts. If you can't, if you're not, you well, how, how does it go? You can't manage, but you can't measure. Right? So if you're not measuring your budget, 
not, you know, pulling your credit report on a regular basis, all those things, then you're not running a good business. And for those who want to be entrepreneurs, you're not ready for that. I promise mm -hmm. you. I promise you that. So let me let me let me run some things down to you from a, a vocabulary standpoint. And I'm gonna tell you why you're an entrepreneur. Your income statement, right? If you're a business, you have an income statement. That's revenues minus expenses. Okay. That's your budget. Paycheck mm -hmm. income, expenses, mortgage, light bill, car payment, income statement, right? Your balance sheet. For a business, it's called a balance sheet. You should know your, your assets minus your liabilities, and that's going to give you your net worth. We all know about, you know, LeBron's net worth. Talk about Prince and, you know, Jay-Z's net worth. What, is, what are you worth mm -hmm. as, a, as a business? U-I-N-C or U-L-L-C. Your bank statement, here's where it gets real, real, because your bank statement it's what's called your statement of cash flows. You pay bills with cash. So your bank statement is going to tell a lender, like a mortgage lender, if you are here playing. Because you can have a great credit score and be terrible with money. You, may, you yep. might make enough money just to pay that bill, but then one missed paycheck or one COVID comes in and then you default, default, default. So your bank statements show the lenders how you manage cash in and out because they're going to see if that money in your, in your account is a gift from somebody. They're not, mm -hmm. they're not, and banks are getting savvier and savvier. They're asking more and more questions. So that's your statement of cash flows. And then your business credit profile is your credit profile. So if you are able to manage all of those and understand the, the, the importance of, of those four items, and manage them well, you well on your way to being empowered, well-informed, dangerous, stay dangerous. <laughs> Definitely. Oh man, that was a great analogy. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, the man knows his stuff. Like what, what can I say? You've seen him here before. If this is your first time, go back, look at some of the old podcasts with Jay Allen's been on here. He drops jewels every single time he's here. Every single time. Uh, before we get out of here, uh, share with our audience how they can get in contact with you uh, for assistance and services. Absolutely. Yes, sir, Shannon. So I can be reached at info at allenfinancialsolutions.biz. On Instagram, I am at j83allen. Instagram, sorry, Facebook is jallen. It's j-a-y-a-l-l-e-n. And um, last thing, too, is, is that I want to talk to you really quick, quick before we end about my, about mindset. Oftentimes we hear words like budget, diet, fast. You know, we think about what we're giving up. Like, man, I got to give up my time. I got to give up my chicken wings. My therapist is, 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 has poured in me to challenge my automatic thought. Your automatic thought is a thing that you think without meaning to, 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 to even think it. It just, it just comes in your mind. When it comes in your mind, you want to challenge that thought immediately and say why. So when you say, oh, man, I'm losing my Sunday afternoon because I'm budgeting. Ask yourself, what's the benefit and what do you gain by budgeting? 
what do you gain by giving up certain foods for a period of time? What do you gain? Don't that, let's not focus on the losses. Let's have a mindset of abundance. What are you gaining in the process? So this little tidbit to, to leave you all with is always I'm grateful for the platform to share what I've learned over the past 15 years um, with my work experience and even some of my own mistakes. So thank you, Shannon, for this platform, man. And, and keep killing it, brother. I uh, appreciate it. I appreciate you joining us. Uh, this segment has been absolutely phenomenal doing this once a month, man. The knowledge that, you know, you're, you're dropping with our viewers and listeners is absolutely phenomenal, man. So I want to thank you as well. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as we wrap up, uh, let me give you this week's mind shift moment. It's actually a quote that comes from Booker T. Washington. Says success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life as by the obstacles which he has overcome while trying to succeed. Give it that to you one more time. Success is to be measured not so much by the position that one has reached in life as by the obstacles which he has overcome while trying to succeed. Um, you know, so often, you know, everything you go through prepares you for that which you ask the universe for. Uh, so you must trust your process, embrace your hardships, and learn how to discipline your disappointments. And learn the tough lessons along the way that will later be the foundational building blocks from which your success is built upon. And that is this week's Mind Shift Moment. Once again, want to thank my guest, Jay Allen. He'll be back next month for another episode. Um, want to thank everybody that's been watching, uh, those that are also streaming it. Um, want to remind everybody, you can find us on Spotify, on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, and Stitcher. Um, we're here live Thursdays at, on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash SIWR podcast. And with that, we remind you that you were not designed to be good. You were designed to be great. We will see you next Thursday. Have a good one. Thank you.